keep your sexy thoughts about me and our guests to yourself, no matter how wonderfully perverted they are. Listen to the outro if you want to know how to connect and enjoy. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wiley, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast spreading the mission to make the world one in which taking care of each other is the norm. Because what is sexier? What is more loving than that? Our guest today is a 45-year-old, as of today, Caucasian non-binary person who uses he, she, them, they pronouns. Pansexual, married, polyamorous, and partnered with kinks that include, but are not limited to, voyeurism, lactation, cum play, sexting, and curiosity about age play. Working in corporate management in the South, welcome and happy birthday to Belladonna Karen. Hello. It's great to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. Can you start off by telling our listeners, if you had to rate yourself on a sexual shame meter with one being totally shameless and ten being so full of shame, where do you fall today? I would say it's a solid three because I've developed over many, many years trying to deal with the shames that I have inside of me and I've become a lot more outspoken lately and a lot generally less ashamed with who I am and trying to be proud of the person that I am. A lot of it also goes back to just trying to have pride in myself because my mom was a bisexual woman growing up in the South and she didn't get the opportunities that I have. And I want to have the opportunities and I want to take advantage of the opportunities that I have and be able to be myself without having to hold back or restrain anything. I want you to take advantage of those opportunities, too. Yeah. So on that note, can you start telling us what is your sex life like right now? Just a little overview. And what are your favorite parts? It's really good right now. It's not as good as I would like for it to be because I want to explore more. I want to do more. And I feel like I'm in a bit of a rut. Like I'm with my partner and we have incredible, wonderful sex, but I still want to expand. Granted, I am a little shy and things happen. Meeting people, it's very difficult. It really is. I try like threesome apps, dating apps, and all the various things. And it's just so hard to really connect and make the sex life as big as you'd want it to be. Oh my gosh, I feel you. And I truly just want for all of us a place where you could be like, no, I'm here. I'm ready. Here's what I want to explore. Where are the people? Let's do it. You know, so maybe someday we'll all create that together. In the meantime, can you tell us what does sexy mean to you? It is... Personally, things that get me aroused and things that get me aroused, strangely, just something that's always, I guess it's not strange. I think it's kind of vanilla, but it's something that's always been sexy to me as seeing women in low cut silk lingerie. I think that's really sexy. Mm. Ejaculates, ejaculations, women squirting, just the outpouring of fluid in sexual manners that's really sexy to me love breasts i guess exploration learning discovering finding new things just the search the hunt (laughs) i can totally relate to that i recently was talking to someone i was like you know what i think i have a curiosity kink because that's what's led me to all of my explorations i suppose that that's true to a degree for everyone But I do have this like hunger and thirst and desire to just like, like I'm working on my bucket list. We'll see how much I can check off. (laughs) Yeah. 
as I mentioned, the voyeurism. I just like seeing interaction, and I'm also I also have a lot of empathy. So seeing somebody sexually excited usually just amps it for me. It's mm. just like you know, seeing somebody in passion and excitement, that's sexy. Yeah. Okay. Can you tell us now what happens to your shame-a-meter when it is time to talk to your partner or a new partner about having safer sex? And how would the ideal version of this conversation go for you? Honestly, my partner and I, together, we're totally unprotected, but that's just us. We have not used protection in our entire marriage. It's just something that we don't do. And when it comes to other people, when we've invited other people in or went with other people, we were always protected. Mm. And honestly, the discussion really never comes up. It's just like pull out a condom. It's not really a thing to discuss. On my own, as far as experiences go, I think I've only been with one other person on my own. And I just brought condoms and used them. Beautiful. It was just instinctual. If you're outside of this house, yes, we'll use protection. And that's just kind of how it goes. Okay, now take us back to your formative years. When do you first remember hearing about sex? What was the vibe around sex like in your household and upbringing? I grew up with a single mother. There's a couple things that I remember first related to sex, and that was she always had dirty magazines. It's just a matter of where they were. But the first I found, and this was really young, I was probably a good three or four years old, like really young. I found a comic that had a lot of nudes and sex and I was confused, but I think still it's just like, what's why? Okay. And she also would watch some kind of blue type programming on Showtime when I was young. So a variety hour that would have, you know, boobs and stuff like that. And while my grandmother was super Christian and kind of put the whole formulative shame thing down, my mom, she liked her dirty stuff herself. So I kind of was in the environment where stuff like that was around. I mean, I found her back massager and stuff like that when I was really younger, her vibrator. And there were a lot of questions that I had growing up and nobody really there to answer them because I keep going back to my mom, but she was so ashamed to talk about these things herself with me. Oh, Yeah. So I never really got the talk. It was my introduction later. The talk was, you know where my magazines are, right? That was pretty much my sex talk. So, yeah. Wow. (laughs) But I was also growing up in an apartment complex really young. I was probably more in the five or six range going outside and playing with kids. And we would go down to the laundry basement and everybody would like look at each other's parts or suck each other's parts, just put them in their mouth. And I remember girls sucking other boys' dicks and me sucking a boy's dick. Just like not sucking, but putting it in the mouth and then everybody cheering and running up the stairs, you know, like singing. And it was so odd. I've always had this kind of sexual underlying thing going on. Yeah. That was the most formulative years. But later on into teen years, up to that, on the school bus and stuff like that, I would play with girls and, you know, we would do things behind the seats and touch each other and, you know, make out and things like that. But I was not really sexually active until probably about 16 when me and my girlfriend, we kind of 
had this faith thing that we always knew that we were just made for each other. I've never been so like connected with another person in my life. And we fucked like bunnies. I mean, (laughs) every place we could, it was like if our parents left us alone for five minutes, like in the back of a car at a grocery store or behind a mall or any place we could find, like the little corner of a park we could find that didn't have people any place we would fuck and it was constant Uh, we did get to see each other we lived kind of far away so our parents would have to bring us together for our dates and stuff like that Uh so we would run off to the most isolated place that we could possibly find and fuck i mean grocery store bathrooms elevators just whatever we could find what an elevator in a tall building relatively uh (laughs) our town has only a couple buildings that are anywhere near tall and one of them it's a dorm for the local campus and we would get in that and stop it and we would fuck the elevator we fucked every place we possibly could she'll probably listen to this and say oh what about this what about this like, oh okay but yes i mean we were smitten in love but I had problems that I was working through. I was very possessive. That mm. was something that I personally find wrong with everything is the value of relationships traditionally is so much on the aspect of ownership. Mm-hmm. And that's how I was raised. That's what I knew yeah. is that ownership, she belongs to me, that it's property now. And I tried not to be like that, but still it's like you're so conditioned to this system that's put out there. All you see is like ownership. That's something that has followed me up until even now I fight. Mm. And it's just like when I see myself going to that place, it's just like, you don't like this about yourself. You don't like this about society. You need to stop. But again, tangent on to how I feel now versus then. But we were fucking all the time. Things were just magnificent. But I think I was turning into a bit of an asshole. I, I was just because... It would be so possessive or so jealous because, I mean, she's very beautiful Mm -hmm. and always has been. And I was pushing her away. Well, she did end up moving away. And we had some conversations on the phone after she moved away. And I mean, when she first left, I didn't eat for days. I was just, it it just shattered my entire world. It it was just epic. She eventually called me and we talked and she knew how badly it broke me up. She understood. And one time when we were fucking, I ejaculated on her and she got it on her face and she was rubbing it on her face. And she's like, oh, I love the way this makes my skin feel. Is this like a natural moisturizer? And I was like, oh, okay. You know, everything went on. So I was reliving this through one of the phone calls after she left. I would love to be able to, you know, give you some of that natural moisturizer. And she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. And in no logical world would that be okay. But to me, I was just like, oh, yes, that's good. You know, I'll send her some of my semen in the mail. My brain thinks it's logical, just so you know. Like, my type of logic is like, that's literally what, yeah, I get it. Okay, so just to say that. Well, it turned out she wasn't talking about that in particular. She was talking about another face cream that I <laughs> used on myself. And she got a package and it had that. 
And I understand how traumatizing that could be if that's not what you were actually expecting. She ended up telling some people close to her that happened to be very gossipy people. And my entire town, like everybody in my graduating class, everybody that I knew, knew about this. And that was kind of the formation of putting sex and shame together. It's just like, I should be ashamed of what I did. But I did have one really, really sweet goth friend. He was a lot older than me. And one time I was just sitting, hanging out with him. And out of the blue, he's like, why have I never received your semen in the mail? And it broke that barrier a little bit of, okay, I can laugh about this a little bit now. Actually, it was a little freeing at the time to actually say something about it instead of just being told or hearing whisperings or being laughed at. It was good to actually be in the situation where I could have a little, if not just a couple words about it, it was a little freeing, if that makes sense. Wow. Okay, so I want to rewind. And first, what did you send it in? My family had little prescription sample bottles. Mm, mm -hmm. Uh, I don't even know what the prescription was, but it was tiny. It was like a little tiny bottle. And it was like, seemed perfect for what I was going to be sending in. So I ejaculated into there. Okay. And then when you and this formative girlfriend were fucking like rabbits everywhere, whenever you could see each other, did you use protection? Was that available to you? And had you ever gotten a proper sex talk in school or anywhere else? I think we used condoms a couple times, Uh but we really didn't. And we really should have, but there were underlying problems that would later keep us from conceiving that caused us not to have a baby in the entire time that this was going on. And she only kind of knew and didn't know a lot of details, but we honestly didn't care. It's just like, you know, if something happens... It happens, but we never really even talked about it from that perspective. We did not use protection. We It was the pull-out method, which is not safe. That was designed to keep people procreating. That was what it was for. <laughs> exactly. The, the pull-out method does not work. So in the South, when you were growing up, did you get sex ed? Did they talk about it? What was the vibe? Had a health class where they taught about sexually transmitted diseases and condom usage, and a little bit of biology. Okay. And then I just want to say, it sounds like this girlfriend is still in your life. Is that correct? It is. We ended up getting married years later. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. I cannot wait to fill in all the gaps. But first, I actually wanted to share some recent nerdy noodle thoughts on the idea of ownership and jealousy and protection because I was just listening to my favorite podcast, The Huberman Lab. It's a neuroscience podcast. And last week, Andrew Huberman did an interview with an evolutionary psychologist. They were basically doing some really problematic, unscientific hypothesizing about evolutionary mechanisms for jealousy that were related to like men needing to keep resources. And it was sort of just like, and I know that you do not identify as a man, but I think that like the fact that they never addressed that like keeping resources in a monogamously structured family is a more recent development. And so I just wanted to ask you, are there any moments that you remember any explicit or implicit messages that you got around ownership? Or did it just feel like it was always a part of kind of a knee-jerk reaction to like, possess the person that you love so much? I think you're there, but I think it's 
almost tied in with romanticism. I think romanticism, uh, traditional romanticism, and I'm a hopeless romantic. I find myself also affiliating sex with romance a little bit too much because you are stuck in this paradigm growing up that romance ownership relationship it's tradition and that's what you're supposed to do and it's a cycle that i've been trying to break for a long time but honestly within the past several years have opened myself up to the dialogue of other concepts of relationships and how other relationships can just generally be because from the environment that i grew up in it was like you know man woman Honestly, when it even comes down to marriage, marriage is implicative of ownership mm. in our society. Mm. So it's just so ingrained that it's hard to break that. It's hard to break out of that cycle. Yeah. But growing up, I think everything, I think everything around me, television, honestly, one of the most non-traditional things was my mother being in a relationship with a woman that was her, you know, quote, roommate, mm. but it was her girlfriend and they lived together. And this was a non-traditional relationship that I was seeing. But of course, I got made fun of it, like in third grade. Oh. That my mom was a lesbian and, you know, that spreads because it's a small town. Actually, it's even a smaller area. I was in a kind of a rural school. So my mom was the lesbian. And I was in a little bit of a non-traditional situation myself. But still, maybe that's why traditional was pulling me so hard. And from a very early age, like, when I was in kindergarten and first grade, my grandfather's like, you found a girlfriend yet? You found a girlfriend yet? It might have been because I was a lot more feminine and he was just trying to be straight, be straight, oh, yeah. be straight, you know, but he was really sweet about it. He was never like hateful. He was always, you know, jovial about it and always like, hey, you know, got a girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you need to capture a girlfriend. And it goes back to what you're saying, keeping your possessions closed for later. Maybe it is built into us, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Because like hunter-gatherer groups lived in 125 to 125, 150 people. And there are still some modern tribes that have different formulas that are not us versus them in small family groups. It was like the tribe stays together. And I personally love the idea of like 150 people and like there's lots of adult options for like fuckings and group sex and you all trust each other and people don't behave shitty because you have social accountability. Those are just kind of my noodles on that. So thank you for walking down that path with me. I also can relate to other people being like, I have this thing in my life that I really like. Do you have it? Do you want it? I would like to see you happy the same way I'm happy. You know, so I try to kind of take people's like, are you married yet? Do you, are you partnered? Do you have a boyfriend? You know, I'm sort of like, mm, it's not my thing. Oh, yes. <laughs> I would like to hear rewinding during your hot and heavy young years before we transition into all of the experiences that have led you to opening up your mind a little bit. What was your exploration of your own body like? It's really strange. First, I have not researched this. And it's one of those things that you always mean to look up, but you just never do. When it comes to your own body, it's uh -huh. just like, oh, okay. But when I was young, my foreskin was kind of sealed to the tip of my penis. I don't know if that's a normal thing that guys go through. 
and even stranger, before birth, they had to cut a hole into my penis because I didn't have an exit. So they cut into me early on. And this was like before I left the hospital and everything like that. From my understanding, it's, you know, I try not to discuss sex with my mom too much. I mean, you know, it can happen, but I do feel a little awkward talking to her about stuff like that. But but also I had the sealed penis and it would itch. So I would like cleaning in the bathtub, rub the area and ended up finding that if I rubbed enough, I would tingle. You know, if I rub the right way, it would tingle. Yeah. Progressively over time, this seal started coming loose and would itch in between it. And I think that was like dirt getting captured in yeah, there yeah. and stuff like that. So continued and continued and masturbated until finally my penis head was free of captivity. And I was regularly masturbating, not knowing what I was doing, just like, oh, this felt good. So I can do this until I tingle. But another funny thing is I didn't know that there was a term for it. So I guess I was probably about 10, something like that. My mom was an apartment manager and I was hanging out with some kids at the complex that she managed. And this boy, I was hanging out with him and he had, you know, the poppers, like the celebration poppers that you pull the string and they make a little explosion and stuff comes out. Mm -hmm. And it's just a couple inches. And he said, you could use this for jacking off. And it's like, what's that? And he's like, oh, and went on to describe like grabbing, you know, your penis and playing with it until stuff comes out. And it's like stuff comes out because at that point, you know, I hadn't had an ejaculation yet. So I kind of went on a quest after that to eventually ejaculate. I don't know what age it happened, but it's just like, okay, so stuff is supposed to come out of here. (laughs) Wow. So your quest to come was successful eventually. (laughs) It was. But I also remember growing up asking my mom about my testicles because I had heard kids use the term balls, but she was so embarrassed that she had to turn to my uncle and send me to my uncle to ask about it because she didn't have the answers and was too embarrassed to really discuss it out with me. So she's like, you can talk to your uncle about that. Well, we'll we'll talk to him about it. I was like, okay. And he kind of gave me the rundown about the same thing that I ended up getting from health class later. You know, men have this, women have this. This is what happens. Yeah. Shout out to your mom for being so shy, but still living a non-traditional life in a culture where bisexuality is like not the norm. She's unfortunately had to spend a lot of her life being a self-presenting bisexual woman. And that's, again, why I really want to celebrate who I am and any aspect that's in me. I don't want to have to hide anything because I live in a time where I can she could not she couldn't have lived in the south i think like the 50s and 60s pretty much growing up she couldn't have done that it it was just impossible it's like your healing generational wounds so you learned about your balls did that inspire you to play with them anymore or has that entered your play sphere at all not really i mean i always just explored them what they were but up to present i've used ball stretchers and stuff like that to try some ball play and things like that And it's okay what i prefer is the appearance like when it stretches it pulls back and it like holds everything can you tell us specifics for people who've never like seen a ball stretcher but are very curious about them i use a neoprene that's personally my favorite because leather is 
hard to work with, but it's almost like a bracelet that clips and clicks and wraps around your balls to pull them away from the body. I've heard from people that it makes ejaculation stronger and better, but I've never had an experience that it actually does. But you put it in place to extend the balls further from your body. So cool. I just like doing little kinky things that only I know about sometimes. (laughs) You know, and I've worn it to work and in public and during sex, but it's almost like a little feeling of sexual empowerment that only you know. Wow, that's so cool. So I want to finish covering the bases of formative years because I'm jumping into details and getting excited. Oh, my God. I do have one more formative story with the girlfriend, and that was regarding anal play. Now, we did all kinds of stuff. I had a riding crop that I would bring in just because my family grew up on a farm and there was a horse there. And I took a riding crop from my home. Uh-huh. And we use that. We tried everything that we could think of. We had Kama Sutra oil. We would try sensual massage, like hour-long sessions on each other. We would have the room candle lit with incense going. Well, one of these places that we had kind of found sanctuary was her mom's room. (laughs) Because her mom worked at a factory and had long hours. So there was little risk of anything happening. Like if we could take a day off school, we could meet there and we would do this well we were interested in anal play and she had a gay brother and she knew a little bit that the ass was a sensuous point and first time we tried it there was a bit of an explosion and covered these white sheets and bedding with feces and we had no idea the internet wasn't there to educate you like things you should do before anal sex or how you should do anal sex or preparation for anal sex is just like well there it goes you know and there it goes and that was kind of a frantic cleanup yeah did it stain were you able to get the sheets clean or what happened pretty sure we were able to get everything taken care of without anything obvious and i don't think there were any standing stains but we (laughs) freaked out absolutely freaked out so we didn't try anal play for a while after that also time of day for me is a big thing when it comes to anal just like where my body is in its natural cycle depends on the amount of preparation that i may or may not do just to put that up there i tried putting little things up my butt when i was young but i've never been able to get it quite comfortable it's just Mm -hmm. like always feel like i'm pooping Mm -hmm. especially at that age but it wasn't out of fear or even the stigma to it it was just like oh this is weird and by the time that i started exploring with my girlfriend at the time i was kind of beyond all stigmas that's why when the event happened of sending that and the shame came back, it was just like I was pushing so far forward sexually. It was just like literally putting the brakes on and going in reverse. Wow. It was just like this was what I deserved for the sexual liberation that I was, you know, the shame. I deserved this for being so sexually liberal. And that was most of the formation that I know of. But go on. <laughs> Wow. So it sounds like that big shame experience really poked your personal sea anemone or sea anemone, 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 anemone. I just lost the word. You know what I'm saying. And so did you stay closed after that? What happened? How did you get to where you are now at that really tender age after your friend was like, wait, I want some. (laughs) Where's mine? 
Well, I dated some girls that either didn't care or hadn't heard about it. And I ended up dating somebody. It wasn't a healthy relationship either because she had some bad self-image issues. Mm. Every time that I would try to approach, I didn't understand that it was about her, but made it about me. It was just like, oh, I'm repulsive or I'm overly sexualizing. So I went almost automatically into a relationship with somebody else that was saying that I shouldn't be so sexual. Mm. And that wasn't helping. That was only driving it further. That was pushing me further back and not helping me develop forward. So I felt ashamed wanting to fuck all the time. Mm. And she was essentially, you can't make somebody feel this way, but it's the way that I felt when I was being rejected by my girlfriend a lot. And when I say a lot, we were having sex at that point, maybe once a week to once every two weeks. Mm. And at this time, I think I was probably about 18 or 19. So that's like in the peak of a male sex drive. And it's just like, I shouldn't feel so sexual. And Mm. It's just like kind of capping on it. Just like saying, you got to hold this back. You have to contain this. I can relate to that too. It's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. And it feels so bad. Even when I remind myself now in my adult 32-year-old brain, I'm like, don't take it personally. It's probably has very little to do with you. You're just the other person on the end of this. But it is so hard for me to not feel super duper rejected, especially if it's the person that, you know, culture tells us is supposed to be doing that thing with us, especially when I was in more monogamous relationships or just had a single partner. It was sort of like, no, you're supposed to be that person. And I think for me too, just getting labeled hypersexual or these labels that don't fit for me, I'm like, no, I just, I want to do this. Okay. Some people, okay. We just have different desires, but it's so hard for me to stay anchored in that even now. This actually brings to another point that should be discussed and you are probably going to bring it up. But this goes back to consent because I knew that it's just like these people aren't my property and I shouldn't try to force the issue and forcing the issue is not a good thing to do. So you just be depressed about it. You know, you just be your little goth boy self and just be sad. And they never taught us about consent in school when I was growing up. But what I did have was a strong sense of empathy and every girl that I was friends with. And I was friends with girls more than I was men. It Mm. just naturally happened that way. I didn't bond over sports. I didn't get sports. I didn't get man things. So most of my friends were girls and I was still attracted to them. And I always seemed like a big brother that they could talk to Mm. and we never could really progress a relationship with them. Because, you know, there's a lot of sides to that. You don't want to break that kind of feeling when you've developed that relationship with people. But at the same time, you're a horny kid. So there's a big fight there. But most of the girls that I knew, almost every girl had been sexually assaulted in one way or another. Most of the time, it was family members. And that was the environment. So the empathy for that kind of naturally gave my awareness of consent. It kind of just realized that you don't want to do something to these people that you care about that they don't want to have happen to them. So I think the feeling and education of consent was just kind of a natural feeling. Wow. I dream of a world where we learn about consent in other ways than trying to not emulate 
the attacks that have happened upon people we care about. That is what I dream of for us. Oh, yes. But later in development, as I got older, coercion, that started to really solidify into my mind as that's part of it, too. And I think every young person that is attracted to somebody is going to try to a degree. You know, it's not like full on, but that's what flirtation is. That's what, you know, you're trying to get the dialogue going. You're trying to get that going. And sometimes it's hard to know when that becomes a harmful thing, how far it goes. Because you're told in traditional media and stuff like that, that, oh, they tried for years and she finally just gave up. Uh And in the modern world, that isn't a very successful and happy story when it comes down to it, even though it might have led to a good relationship. Somebody just being irritating, persistent and annoying. There's something wrong with that if that's how it has to happen. We've been taught that that's okay. Flirtation beyond flirtation to stalking and to annoying it's okay i'll go down a shame spiral if i feel like i have pushed into sex and it's not wanted on both ends and then i feel bad and it's just a spiral humans are so humans are complicated and to touch on the stalking bit in the podcast episode that i listened to which is about you know it's supposed to be about how humans choose romantic partnership They said, oh, okay, so stalking does work to get people back sometimes. You know, not that often. 15% of the time, maybe. And I was like, 15% is a huge amount of the time. And it, to me, signifies what is perhaps the issue that I personally struggle with, which I'm such a big fan of explicit communication. And what I'm realizing when I try to apply everything I'm practicing here to personal relationships is people are overwhelmed, they're weirded out that I'm talking about things directly, and there is, built into the cultural courtship dance that is acceptable, this sort of like, no is supposed to mean no, except sometimes no means try harder, except there's no clear line about when one is one and one is the other, and there are too many people in the world, not just dudes, there are too many people in the world like me that cannot tell the difference, and so... There are some people that are like erring to the far side of like, no, I just need to know explicitly, like if you want to have sex with me, that's me. And what I'm realizing is it's opposite of the way human dopamine systems work, because we want to have mystery and intrigue and this whole like roller coaster of an experience. What I hope to do with having these conversations is to figure out clear ways to be like, no, 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 this is really, no, this is the rapey no. But I've also had people tell me that like they want to be chased, they want to be hunted, they want to know that the other person... I have heard this in my own personal experience from three different female identifying beings who are from the South, who have this idea that the man that they want is strong and must come get them. And so it is complicated and everyone's different. And so I'm glad that we're talking about it. Well, also, there's something that totally blows my mind, and it's an area that I can't really explore with my partner and that they are interested in CNC consensual non-consent. I'm so programmed against anything rapey or anything violent in sex that I just can't bring myself to be involved in that. It's just like, I can't do that. Like I said, the development of growing up and people that I like and love all being victims of sexual abuse. It's just like, no. And it's hard to cross that. It's hard to 
actually go to a, you know, I'm breaking in, I'm tying you up without your consent, even though we've agreed on it prior to this. It's so hard to go over that line. I experience that struggle even when it comes to degrading language. I am developing my inner dom and I had a lover recently tell me that they are into some insults and they couldn't tell me specifically which ones. They just wanted me to be a little mean now and then when things come up. And I realized that that may not be possible for me unless someone gives me kind of some boundaries and guidelines because if they don't know them, what happens in real life is every time I think I'm teasing, like I'm like, oh, I got it. I got I got the level of tease we're working at. My puppy teeth are too sharp and I really hurt feelings and people stop being my friend oftentimes for days or weeks or like I will like give teases where I'm like, no, you're teasing me this hard and I think I'm matching it. And it's it's not like they stop being my friend forever, but like they need to take space. And then that triggers my fear of abandonment and my like, am I lovable? So it's just the whole human mess. And it's still something that I'm excited to explore, but like I'm realizing that I need to go slower. Like I'm figuring out what my needs there may be in the large term. What we need to talk about that we haven't touched on yet, speaking of needs, is oral sex. Oral has always, since I was dating and we were sexually active, oral was something that we would both perform on each other. Mm -hmm. And it is something that I enjoy. I enjoy receiving and I enjoy giving. I had a long period of early adulthood where my teeth were horrible, like god-awful, no tartar, didn't visit a dentist, couldn't afford to go to a dentist. So I was like bleeding gums, constantly bad. So I didn't want anything around my mouth. I didn't want to make out. I didn't want to kiss. I didn't want to do anything because of this. Well, I ended up late 20s, probably finally going to the dentist and having all that straightened up, all the excessive stuff built up that was in there, cleaned out and taken care of. And then it was just like an awakening at the time. I wanted to kiss. I wanted to have oral sex. I wanted to do more. And I had all those years where it's just like, no, I can't make an excuse. I would talk like this. I would cover my mouth for every discussion and everything. And once I went to the dentist, it was like freedom, sweet, sweet freedom. Now, I don't have the best teeth in the world now, but... I still go to a dentist and, you know, they're still taken care of, but it's just the confidence that came from getting my mouth fixed was outstanding. It was wonderful. Oh my gosh. I just want dental to be available to all of us. Yes. 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 My dad is a dentist. So I grew up unafraid of the dentist and also just really took it for granted. Like even now he's retired, but I still go to his office. (laughs) And I just want a world where everyone has that because I just didn't realize how much privilege that just has inside of me. I honestly wasn't afraid of the dentist. I was afraid of cost, not knowing how much like my gums constantly bleeding like black around the Mm -hmm. tops of my teeth, the extent of the damage that the neglect had caused. Yeah. I stand firmly behind you. I mean, yes, we all need medical care, but dental care too is part very, yeah. very. Yeah, dental and vision. Like Those things should not be excluded from each other. It yeah. should all be wellness. It's Just, part of our body. If we have these parts, like we shall take care of them so that they can serve us in sexy ways. Right. What do you like specifically when you're receiving oral? Let's see if I can explain it. One of my favorite things is 
like a pull of the lips from the underside of the head of the penis. Mm -hmm. That just feels incredible. And also like tongue play on the tip and the underside of the head. Mm. I, I absolutely love that. Also, within the last year, I had my first experience with having oral with a man. I went down on him. Well, the whole situation was problematic because I think he was there more for my partner. He was exploring himself. Okay. I enjoyed the aspects of the oral sex myself, but he never ejaculated for me because he had been practicing edging. He had spent like most of COVID working on edging, so he was really hard to make come. I think it was his first male experience too. Mm-hmm. Not positive, but I wasn't going to say, "Hey, come for the, you know this first guy." And I still fall into the binary with calling myself a guy. It just okay. it happens. That's why pronouns really don't matter to me because I just am. Yeah. But I'm in such a habit growing up of saying this guy or being a guy and having a male outer coding. It's just like such a hard habit to break. But anyway. I love male outer coding. That's hilarious. Great. <laughs> <laughs> but it was enjoyable, but it seemed like there was things lacking. I've still not experienced anal with a man, but that's something oral that I've tried just within the last year. How was it having a penis in your mouth? It was bizarre, unusual, but strangely familiar. It's just like, I think I know what to do with this. (laughs) The taboo left over in my brain was still excited, you know, because first experiences, you know, no matter what it is, can be a taboo so it was just you know fun to experience that and i was also getting a little excited because my partner was watching and she was excited and of course that's like really hot yeah it's that energy thing it's like when you feel sexual energy and excitement coming from other places you're just like feeling it mm-hmm. many of our listeners are in north america where circumcision is becoming decreasingly common blessedly, because there's so many nerve endings that don't need to get cut off. As a foreskin holder, do you have any tips for people out there of how to play with partners if they've never encountered someone with a foreskin? I like to sometimes hold the foreskin back when I play, or sometimes I just let the foreskin do what it does. And it adds a little variety to your masturbation sessions or sexual sessions that you're having. Essentially, there's no rules. Play with it. Now I'm kind of interested what another uncircumcised penis would be like too. Yeah. I recently had a couple of different lovers who were foreskin havers, holders who had foreskins. (laughs) And it was so fun because I haven't been with someone with a foreskin since I got less shy. And then I got like three of them, you know, in a similar time period. And I was just like, able to sort of like find out what felt good, find out what felt different. And I also didn't have any extra insights, but I would just tell them to show me how they held themselves. And some of them would pull it back and some of them wouldn't. And then they let me experiment and experience both ways. So can you tell us a little bit about your explorations in adulthood and bring us up to speed on where you are now? Yes, absolutely. From when I ended up getting married, I have been primarily monogamous with the same partner. How old were you when you got married? We were 21 because I had just had my first alcoholic drink legally. But I was monogamous for that period of time. 
threesomes come later. We had monogamous sex. And here's the problem. I told you about like the girlfriend that was giving me problem in my young adult years after my breakup and all this. So the shame was still heavy when I ended up reconnecting with my girlfriend that became my wife. Mm -hmm. There were sexual issues moving forward because now I had this shame spiral. I was stuck in the shame spiral that I was overly sexual. Mm. And it's almost like I'd been conditioned again to hold back and restrain when I was with somebody that really didn't want the restraint. Yeah. They wanted, you know, full as sexual as sexual can be, but there was like a block. Yeah. And progressively we explored more. We got on the internet and I started you know, masturbating to porn, started finding porn. And that was something that I was hiding, which, you know, in a relationship, you don't know without discussing it, how the other partners going to be. So she ended up discovering these hidden caches of pornography that I had Mm -hmm. on the computer. You know, that became a discussion and we started exploring porn together Mm -hmm. progressively. And it's so weird because I remember in the early days, like, you know, multiple girls in a scene's okay, but multiple guys, I don't know. Because, you know, I just didn't like the masculine energy. Over time, that's changed. Porn adaptation comes, goes, and we all develop in our own ways. But that's just a little something. But we grew with porn. We progressively started getting into a little bit more bondage stuff. We started playing with, well, I mean, we got some stuff from the stock room. We got, you know, cuffs, collars, various toys and things like that. And this is another part where I feel like a bad person. But I collared her and it was official and things just drifted away from it. Mm. And I feel like a really bad partner for that. And we are at a much better place now than this. And this was probably good 10, 15 years ago. Okay. But I think it has a lot to do with while I like to be in control, I don't know if I am quite a dom. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm quite to that level. I boss people around all day at work and tell them what to do. But of course, I'm the sweetest person in the world about it. But it's just a matter of I don't know if I have that daddy dom quality, Mm -hmm. which is something that I'm curious about. Is it something inside me that I can awaken? And BDSM has always been a little bit complicated for me, but something that I've always wanted to explore. I was a teenage kid that was just obsessed with Hellraiser and piercings and stuff like that. And it's just like, ooh, I love all this stuff, but it's just like I wanted to see it from a distance. I was always a little bit afraid, aside from piercing my own navel with a safety pin. Do not recommend. But aside from that, I don't have piercings or tattoos. And it's just because I've never taken that step. Mm -hmm. But I've always been fascinated with it. And that comes along with the voyeurism, too. I like to watch and I like to see the experience, but I'm almost a little afraid. You know, maybe one day I'll get in the right circumstance and just a flood will open up and I'll be like, oh, everything's perfect. And this is how things are supposed to be. That's my adulthood up to a certain level. And then came the ecstasy years. Now, this is something that I'm a big proponent of. So many years of shame just dissolved the first time that I experienced MDMA. Every part of embarrassment and shame that I had about myself just fell away. It was so therapeutic. All this shame that I've had 
it is gone. And we were discussing things we had never really brought up before. Like we were having sex and having the best feelings of our life. But we were bringing up the concept of, oh, maybe we could bring somebody else in. Maybe a threesome would be fun. You know, we're coming up with all these ideas and everything's perfect. And it's just like this whole sexual revolution was coming. I was probably late 20s to early 30s and it was just like this whole awakening was happening and from there we started inviting other people in and taking ecstasy socially with some friends and we crossed some interesting boundaries of sharing unfortunately it stuck within the female perspective i was still locked in this heteronormative idea though i really wasn't i've always been kind of open to experience i feel like i've always been pansexual but never knew how to express it it's just like while my preference is towards the female form i love the female form just because that's what i grew to love i grew up loving it and was also told that that's what i'm supposed to at the same time i had no problem with an attraction to another man it's just like People should love who they love. People should be attracted to who they're attracted to without putting a name on it. And that's why I love the term non-binary so much is because I don't like these boxes that we're put in. I don't like having to be bisexual. I don't like having to be gay. I don't Mm -hmm. like having to be straight. I don't like these definitive terms because I don't think anybody's 100% straight, gay, or anything. I think to a level, we're all a little bit, if not just curious. Yeah. So I've always had that feeling, but this was opening a new gate to multiple partners that maybe we can expand. And still at the time, even though we were starting to have threesomes with other women, I was still holding on to this monogamous conception Mm. that, yes, we are monogamous, but we play together. Mm -hmm. On a quick side note, I see this symptom so much in apps like Threefund. I see it more there than any place, at least locally, is that there's so many unicorn hunters. Mm-hmm. There's so many straight man, bisexual woman. And it's just overwhelming how much that is. Hell, even when I made my profile initially, my profile initially was straight and bisexual woman. And it's just like, that's not right. Because if I find you attractive, I don't care what you have between your legs. I don't care what gender you are. I find you attractive. And that's all there is to it. Being on those actually helped me start learning and seeking out terms and trying to define what's inside. And pansexuals, about the closest that I can find, queer, pansexual. In my experience, even in LA, like, yeah, there's occasionally queer couples that I swipe on, but I'm mostly on field and I haven't been swiping lately because I got tired of it, but maybe in the new year. I typically associate a couple with a bisexual woman and a straight man to lack the type of deep communication that I desire. There's like a straightness to the sex that is less creative. So lately in my brain, and I'm not labeling anyone else out there, I just have noticed in my own personal experience when someone identifies as straight, what it means is I can expect less creative sex from them. So that's like my personal encouragement for everyone to explore their queer side, even if it is only within thought, because it's like, even if you're like, no, 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 I have a penis and I never need another penis to come near any part of me. Can you think about it? Because that's like 0.05%. Are you able to have the flexibility and the creativity to not just be so penis 
erection, orgasm focused, because that's the type of sex that most people are like writing to me about. They're like, I just want to have sex and I just want it to be better. And I just, and I'm like, but are you having sex with your mind and your whole body? Oh no, I just mean my heart on it. I'm like, well, stop taking Viagra and see what happens. You know, like, and like, do whatever you want. Like, go take Viagra if that makes you happy. But if you're not happy and it's so erection-focused, that's what I usually see from males who identify as straight. And it's just boring for me because I talk to so many interesting queer people and I'm in my own little bubble. Yeah, and I've got to a point where if I see straight in your profile, I'm X, X, X. Mm -hmm. No, no. It's still a bias and biases aren't healthy. But You're allowed to have your own biases. Of course, of course. <laughs> Shortcuts. But, but yeah, it's something that I've blocked. Yeah, I just keep doing. That's such an interesting perspective since you have like had the experience yourself of the shift. Right. I have a question for you based on ecstasy. What was it like having sex not on ecstasy after having sex on ecstasy? This is almost unfair because <laughs> okay, it stayed good. You know, sex was wonderful but yes you do kind of miss the experience you kind of miss that really epic four or five hour sexual session of just constantly going it's just like you don't want to stop and it's amazing and th this is from my experience on it and from what i had my partner has the common problem that most people have it's you have your serotonin drop yeah. you escalate and explode your serotonin during the event but afterwards the serotonin drop i never got the serotonin drop i almost feel like it is something that is a medicine for wow. me because it was almost completing a part of me mm -hmm. and i haven't talked to a lot of people about it but i haven't talk to anybody that's specifically had the same experience that it almost seems like a therapeutic medicine for me, even more so than a recreational drug. Yeah. You know, I know that it's being developed and worked on for, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and various things and is working in those areas. I'm wondering if the experience that I had growing up and the shame that I felt, if that wasn't like a low-key traumatic experience that I had, that this is helping release or did help. Oh. Now, honestly, I haven't touched it in years, but yeah. doesn't mean that I don't feel like I need it all the time. When I say need it, I will find myself being, you're feeling shame again. You're feeling a lot of sexual shame. You're, it's almost like I need something to just rip the cord and be like, no, stop, stop. You were in a good place. Stop. Mm. You're putting shame back on it again. I feel like it, something would be helpful pharmaceutically to make me not feel the way that I felt about myself. Yeah. So just to talk about the Huberman lab again, because I'm such a nerd and it's been so highly on my mind. I've been learning so much about the dopamine system and the serotonin systems, and they've talked more about dopamine and how it functions, but he was talking about serotonin recently, and there's a compound called Kana, and also it has another name too, but you can buy it in tea form, and it's something that is supposed to boost your serotonin levels. And I suspect that I'm a highly dopaminergic person because I have a lot of curiosity and like I literally get off on learning and I'm so horny and that's the thing that makes you drive. And whereas the serotonin system is the thing that makes you feel really like chill. And that's something that I need to practice a little bit more. And serotonin makes you feel 
happy with where you are. You don't need to go out and move and hunt and search around. Whereas I'm always like, what's this? What's that? What? You know, and I have been overwhelming people in regular life lately because I'm talking so fast and thinking so much and like taking in all this information. So that's something that I'm going to be exploring. And, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of have to have awareness of your system and test it out. But there's fucking teas that we can get that that boost the serotonin levels. So maybe that could be like a little daily dose. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. That would be fantastic. (laughs) Right? Okay, so can you tell us voyeurism? How did that come up for you? What are you into about it? Well, first, I think the first key factor was my obsession with porn. Mm. It's something that's fading as I get older, strangely. But when my wife first found and, you know, caught me masturbating to porn, it was a progressive stance of like how much I was masturbating for unhealthy long amounts of time. I was like having six to eight hour sessions Mm. of just going through porn and watching and watching and watching. And it was almost like a game. It was almost like a hunt for something hotter. And it was just a cycle of hours and hours. And I loved just watching, watching people, watching sexual energy. And over time, I just realized that's something that I enjoyed. Something else that I ended up enjoying in my later years that was a complete surprise to me was being sent videos from my wife having sex with another guy. See, I don't particularly like the term cuck or cuckolding because I don't like the aspect of degradation. To me, degradation is almost like a shameful feeling that's kind of almost a trigger. So I really didn't like the concept of it, even though I did end up watching a lot of that porn, but with volume down, because I didn't like the degradation. I didn't like the whole gender binaries. I don't like the sissy aspect. I don't like all those because I just think people are people. It's just, you know, the sissy, that's for people that enjoy the term to use, not for people who don't enjoy the term to use. Absolutely. Yeah. I ended up seeing and watching videos and stuff. And it's like, oh, no, this is so hot. You know, this is really exciting. And I was surprised. And that's just a voyeuristic tendency that I like to watch and see. And I've always kind of had the voyeurs and thing from magazines and watching and pornography up to internet porn. And finally, kind of the last thing, seeing my partner with somebody through a video. So, yeah, I enjoy watching sexual situations. Amazing. What do you like about lactation? Oh, my God. It's fluids. It's fluids (laughs) coming out of breasts. Oh, my God. What's not perfect about that? (laughs) And I rarely admit jealousy, but I do have jealousy of my wife for Mm. one thing. Mm -hmm. And she has got to experience and be in an experience with a lactating woman and I'm so bitter about it, but not really. It's just like, oh, I'm so thankful that you did and happy for you that you did. But damn it, I really want to. But I'm so excited. I want to experience fluid coming out of one of my key sexual triggers and mm. places of excitement. And I think it wasn't long after experiencing ecstasy, but this is my wife's journey to tell more than mine. Yeah. But I believe it was during one of our ecstasy sessions that she let go and squirted. And from then, it's just opened up. 
Yeah, I mean, she's capable of almost squirting any time. And How fun. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I love causing it because I just love the reaction and the fluids and everything. It also goes back to golden showers and stuff like that, where it's a practice that we don't do nearly enough. Actually, we haven't in a long, long time. But it's something that's really, really exciting. I love to be the target. I love to give. I love the whole thing. But that also goes to another aspect of shame. Mm. Back with my mother, when I was growing up, something else that I forgot to mention, we lived in a house that had a bathtub without a shower. One year for my mom's birthday, she got a rubber shower head that she could attach on the bottom of the tub. And her and her girlfriend were so happy they could finally have a shower. Uh-huh. And somebody offhand said, Haha, golden shower. And that was with my cousins. I was like, what's that? And she's like, it's not for kids, not for kids. And I heard her whispering, me and so-and-so used to blah, 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 blah. And later on the car ride with her, I was just like, well, can you tell me what this means, what golden shower means? And she's like, it's when people pee on each other for sexual purposes. She's like, some people think it's sexy. I think it's sick. Oh, wow. And then it's just like back to the whole sexual repression with her. And just knowing that she couldn't freely speak about what she liked and enjoyed because I had heard her say me and so-so and was giggling about it and having a great time talking about it to turn around to tell me that she thought it was sick. Wow. On a healthier note, I find no problem with it in my adult life. Don't even really see it as kinky, though most people do. It's just like, okay, it's another fluid. I did have a bad MDMA experience from the next day because I think I had too much because it carries through your urine and your bodily fluids. My partner and I were going back and forth with fluids like I was drinking her squirt and Mm. urine, everything that was coming out. So I was just getting higher and higher. And I almost broke my brain on that. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm glad that you didn't fully break it and that you're here to tell us these stories. (laughs) No psychosis, but damn close. The scariest that I ever did. Only after did I realize that, yes, that's a chemical that can be transferred like methamphetamines Mm -hmm. through urine and bodily fluids. I wasn't even thinking about that as we were having this huge sexual session and exchanging the fluids like that. So, yeah, just kept perpetuating the chemical. (laughs) Okay, so lactation, fluids, what about sexting? You are a sexter. I feel like I'm horrible at it. Oh, why? And how are you practicing? Do you have any suggestions? To be honest with you, one of the people that I had met on one of the sites, we had like about a year relationship. And now about a month ago, I was ghosted and Mm. haven't heard back. So, you know, and after a year, it's kind of, it sucks. But just to all of a sudden be ghosted. I hope she's okay. Yeah, that's where my brain always goes. I'm like, did you die? (laughs) Are you? I I hope she's okay. But that was one of my primary practices was texting sexual situations with them. And because my partner loves sexting and and has actually done it in sex work, I want it to be better for them Mm -hmm. because I feel like my sexual dialogue is not great. 
so many terms seem hokey to me. Mm-hmm. I have always hated the term like swinger because it reminds me of Three's Company and you know the seventies feel the sleazy aspect of what a swinger is. Mm-hmm. So I've never really liked the term. That's why when polyamorous came out, I was like, oh, that's not a bad term. Yeah. You know, yes, it is because again, back to the ownership, you're not owning. So it's a hurt feeling of not being the only one able to satisfy your partner. But at the same time, you need to look at it as a little bit more liberating, Mm. you know, that there's a lot more freedom to it. Yeah. So for me, I feel like sexting is so different partner to partner. I feel different amounts of like permission and comfort for each one. And there are some people I've been with that have been like, yeah, tell me dirty stuff, but then they don't engage back with me. And then I feel awkward. So I don't know. That's part of it for me. I don't know if that's part of it for you. It's mood-based. Sometimes I'm able to just open up and pull a full dialogue out, have good responses, and initiate and do everything right. Other times, it just feels like everything I do is cheesy and stupid. Yeah, I get that. I think for me, it depends on how much sleep I've had. And I think I'm better at it when I've been reading erotic fiction that I like. Honestly, finding sex stories was one of the roads on a journey of trying to open up my sexual dialogue. Yeah. I was looking for erotic stories and found sex stories, and that's something completely different and better. It's just like, oh my God, this is amazing. But leading up to that, I was just going like through sex podcasts yeah. and through audible books of eroticism and things like that, just trying to find and work my way in there. But it's just trying to find my own voice. And sometimes, again, really good about it, sometimes really bad about it. And most of the people that I've sexted with outside of my spouse has been people that I've found on Field or 3Fun. And honestly, most of the time, I bore those people to tears because I talk a lot about non-sexual things to start off Mm. and I I can't find this happy medium of just jumping in like hey want to fuck or tell me about all your favorite music tell me about what you've listened to tell me about like what's your favorite tarot card (gasps) what do you identify with in the tarot because I'm an occultist and I love magic with that I tend to bore people away before I actually get to a situation I can relate to that I either overwhelm them sexually right away and i'm pretty reactive because like whatever happened with the last person regardless of the fact that it's a new person i don't know how to tell where to start with the new person and so then i'll pretty much just be reactionary is what i was noticing and so if that person got scared away by me talking about sex too fast then i'll like default to like get to know you things and i think I think now that all of my work is pretty sex related, I'm hoping that on my next bout of swipes, which I think I'll do in January or February, maybe we'll see if that makes a difference. That's kind of my thought on it (laughs) for the moment. One of the big problems is where I live. I'm not finding a lot of people that I find interesting or attractive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when I do, when there is a connection, it's just not knowing the approach because I'm always going to be me. I can't not be me because I am going to ask about the things like music, but it's harder for me to just go ahead and initiate immediately, even though that's what the site's for to just like, Hey, when are we fucking? Yeah. I think it's great that you are being you no matter what. 
I want to hear about your curiosity about age play, and I also want to hear where Belladonna Karen came from. <laughs> as far as age play, my curiosity is just, I've always had this feeling that age is just a number, and I've preached it to my spouse forever because, you know, in her 20s, she's like, oh, I'm getting so old, and I'm getting this and that, and I'm just like, you know, you're beautiful, you know, and age is just a man-made construct. It's, you know, yes, you age, but it's that number that has nothing to do with it. It's how you feel. Mm-hmm. I've always been like that. And when I was young, I had a mustache and facial hair early on, thinning hair. So at 16, I could get into a bar without being carded. So I've never really looked my age, maybe in mid-30s, I probably booked my age, but now I'm starting to see myself getting older, and now I'm starting to have the problems that she'd have, and while I'm not getting wrapped up into this number, I'm getting wrapped up into how my body's starting to feel. Mm. I'm starting to see new wrinkles, new things, new, and it's just like, wow, I really should have taken advantage of that while I was younger and opened up my mind more then, but Age play is a semi-okay term because I want to experience, it goes into the whole sexuality with male-female. I don't care about a number. If somebody's of legal consent, yeah. I would be happy exploring with somebody that's 21 mm-hmm. or 65. Mm-hmm. And age play is really probably not the best term to use for that because I I just think that it is, when it comes to sexuality and partnerships, just a number. And we have so much to learn from each other one way or another. You have a lot to learn from youth experience life right now. And youth has a lot to experience from people older that have experienced life in different aspects. How you're interpreting, how somebody older is interpreting stimulus coming in now I would just love to see how everybody sees everything. It's that curiosity. I want to know what somebody 21 is thinking. But at the same time, I want to know what somebody 65, 70 is thinking. Attraction can come from anybody of any age and liking to explore other ages that aren't my own. Yeah. However, that falls. And then how did you discover or meet or find Belladonna Karen? Well, it started with years and years and years of watching RuPaul's Drag Race. I mean, has been on constantly in my house since it's been going on and seeing this. But to be fair, we had went to gay bars and watched drag performances. And I'd actually incorporated a drag performer's set, slowed down into some of the music that I made in 2000. 10-ish. So I'd always been fascinated with drag as an art form, even before, you know, drag race came on TV, mm-hmm. going to the gay bar. And funny thing about going to the gay bar, it, it was so interesting to be in a bar that my mom was in when she was carrying me in infancy. She had went to this bar, but just being around gay culture, being around drag, And just enjoying it and loving it and respecting it. Then seeing things like Dragula coming out where there are monsters and people more like, you know, the edgier, gothic, darker side that I liked as well. It's just like, oh, this is a valid thing, too. Yeah. The bar that we went to had kind of a house drag king. 
So I'd always known about it, but it's like queens were always the bigger, the more notable side. But I love that the exploration of gender fuckery is just going on out there and how it works. I just started becoming interested in it more and more, just deeper and deeper. It's just like, well, what do these pigments do? Uh, you know, how does this pigment apply? Why does a wig do this? What would you want to do with this? And already having a huge collection because my spouse has a lot of makeup. She's got a lot of wigs. Mm. She's got a lot of things. And it's just like, hmm. And just exploring. And then the name came because it was so perfect. It's just like, how is this name not taken? How is nobody Bella Donna Karen? The play on words is beyond perfect to me. And it's just like, okay, maybe I am. That's me. And the name started inspiring me yeah. to do this thing that seems so natural. I'm a horrible painter. I'm really bad at it, but I like to construct things. I mean, I've already got sessions and sessions of lip syncs planned out of songs that I want to do and how I want to do it and incorporating things like buto dance and various aspects to this artistry. And I just think that there's so much more. And this is like the goth chick that lives inside of me that's always lived inside of me, you know? And just expressing this and having this come out, it's fun. But right now, I'm in a bad spot. I'm feeling a little bit bad on my self-image. I've gained a lot of weight. Mm. And I'm kind of going to give myself, I'm not painting until I lose a little bit more weight. Okay. Just so I've got a palette that I want to work with again. Beautiful. But I don't sexualize it. But that also doesn't say that I'm not going to. Mm. It's not off the table, but it's just something that I don't get an erotic feeling from at the moment. It's just more of a creative art outlet. Yeah. It's your starting point. It is. That's baby queen at 45. I love that. What are your hopes for your sexual self going forward? I really want to try a sex club. I really want to try orgies. I really want, I mean, I think a good starting point would be something that is really obvious, but just hasn't happened yet. And that's like a couple and couple. Because, I mean, we've tried, you know, threesomes and have had really great times with them. Well, unfortunately, I have and she's had less because a lot of the women were more in my area. They were more paying more attention to me and not her. Oh. And that feels bad on all accounts when you realize the emotional impact that that's having. Yeah. And I want to be with somebody that is able to lactate. I mean, Yes. I want to experience orgies. I want to experience just more things. I want to experience with different types of people. And I can experience it on my own, but I would really like to experience it with my partner too. Yeah. That being said, there can be a lot of growth from experiencing things on your own. Yeah. I like the voyeuristic aspect of a glory hole. I would love to watch my partner treating somebody to glory hole mainly because i don't like men's images as much uh -huh. i mean not the general typical macho or masculine man i like feminine men mm -hmm. uh, you know mm -hmm. and i'm also finding that there might be a term for that gynosexual and that, that is an attraction to female features and forms okay. so that could be but i also am curious and want to explore penises more okay. you know 
my main draw has always been breasts and the female form. But I'm always anxious to learn more and explore more. I did actually make out with a guy one time and he smelled like cigarettes and his beard was rough and the whole experience was just bad for me. It's mm, just like, okay. oh, that was my first male experience. And it's just like, you know, he was a really cool guy. He was really interesting, but it's just like this connection that I was hoping to get some kind of energy from the scrape of the beard and the smell all together just made it kind of unappealing. Hopefully something better in your future. And like BDSM, I think that's something that might have to stay voyeuristic. Mm. Maybe one day I'll find more of a place for myself that enjoys that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love the beauty of rope, you know, Shibari. I love the concept and the art, but I don't find practical sexual experiences from it myself. Mm. You know, it's not much of a turn on, but it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same thing goes with general bondage. It's not so much sexual, but it looks really cool. Yeah. I I really like the aesthetic, but the power play, uh, I don't know. Maybe you haven't found the right element to power play with. Okay. So to be continued. Always. Okay. And... If you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex advice, what age or ages would you pick and what would you say? There's two that I'm kind of broken about. One is you probably shouldn't send that semen in the mail. But at the same time, would I be the person that I became today if I wouldn't have done it? But more importantly, I would have probably went back to around 25 to 30. 30, pre-ecstasy, most possessive, and try to explain to myself the concept of polyamory Mm. and to explain that you can still be partnered with and you can still love somebody, but they don't have to belong to you. Mm. They are not your property. Try to explain that better to myself because at that point, I think I could have opened up a lot more sexual doors for myself and for her, for both of us. I think our sexual experiences could have been richer if we would have been able to get out of that mindset, especially me. Yeah. Belladonna Karen, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And happy, happy, happy 45th birthday. Thank you so much.